Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Pat Gillette, a partner and member of the Employment Law Group within Oryx San Francisco office. Welcome, Pat. Hi, Nicole. Thanks. Pat's practice focuses on all aspects of employment law. She is an experienced trial lawyer and a frequent lecturer across the country. Prior to joining Oric, she led the employment practice group for another firm, was in private practice. She also spent six years as the head of the employment law section within Bank of America. Pat, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into who you are personally? Sure. I've been an employment lawyer for 39 years, uh, doing primarily, as Nicole, as you said, Nicole, um, trial, jury trials involving wrongful discharge claims, discrimination claims, um, multi-plaintiff cases, that sort of thing. But about eight, nine years ago, I really began to focus on talking about issues that relate to the advancement and retention of women and minorities in the workplace. And that has truly become my passion. So now I do a lot of writing and speaking on those issues uh, because my goal is to change the way law firms are structured and with the hopes of keeping women and minorities in the workplace. I also do a lot of work on business development because having been a big rainmaker for many, many years, over 25 years, I've had between five and $10 million worth of business. Um, I just think it's a really important part of our practice that we don't focus on sufficiently. And I actually think we don't train people properly on how to develop business and how to advance their careers in that way. Can't agree more. I mean, that is the reason for Left Foot, and, and I'm so excited to have you as a guest. Of course, those numbers are, are significant. What personal strengths or habits have really played into that success? So this is a really interesting question and one that I was quite interested in uh, a couple of years ago um, because I sort of looked at myself and said, why do I succeed as a rainmaker and other people don't? Um, and my belief was that People who are big business developers or, or rainmakers, as we call them, um, have certain characteristics that differentiate them from other people. So I actually engaged in a study with uh, some other people, one, the primary person being Bill Henderson, who's a professor of law at um, University of uh, Indiana. And for two years, we studied the personal characteristics of rainmakers by doing psychometric testing as well as behavioral interviewing. And what we discovered is that rainmakers actually do have different characteristics from other people. Um, and I found that to be true of me, as well as many of the people who I know uh, who are rainmakers. So when you ask what are my personal uh, attributes that I think have helped me, um, they're they fall into four categories. The first is I'm very good at listening um, and I'm engaged with the person I'm speaking with. I'm actually interested in people and, and try to be interesting to people. And so when I'm having a conversation, I'm actually listening to what the person is saying and trying to see what's important to them as well as what I might be able to do to help them. I'm someone who constantly connects people to other 
individuals. I'm always looking for connections. I can't help myself. It's just something that I do. So if you were to say, you know, I live in Colorado, I would say, oh, my sister lives there and she also is interested in X because I know you are. And, you know, we would take it from there. Um, So active listening and making connections and being interested and interesting is really important in I think in, in the ability to develop business and has helped me. The other things that have really helped me is that I'm pretty good at problem solving and being innovative and strategic in the way I approach issues with clients. So rather than talking about the law, I talk with clients about their business and what their business goals are and how I can help them achieve those business goals with the legal advice that I give. So I very rarely will sit down with the client and talk about the different decisions from different circuits or something like that. But rather I talk to them about, here's what you told me your business goal is. Here are three options that I think we can use to get there. And this is, you, this is the most risky and this is the least risky. You tell me what you want to do and I'll do whichever one you want. Um, and I try to direct them toward a strategy that's going to accomplish their business goals. So I'm constantly thinking about problem solving and innovative and creative approaches that differentiate me from other people. Um, The third characteristic is the ability to motivate people. So I'm pretty good at motivating my teams that I work with. I engage them. I let them be part of the process. I delegate a lot. I um, empower people to make decisions. I give people credit when they do uh, come up with ideas so that I don't take resp- I don't take credit for things that other people do. And that's partly because I want them to feel honored and partly because I want my clients to see that I have a team of people who are fabulous. Um, and the final is risk taking. I'm a big risk taker. Um, I, my, as my husband would say, I, I don't follow the rules. Um, and I think to be good at business development, you have to be willing to take risks. You have to be able to put yourself on the line, your firm on the line, your practice on the line, your expertise on the line. Um, you have to be able to look a client in the eye and say, I'm willing to do that, even though it's completely, <laughs> um, you know, it's going to be a difficult uh, road to go down. As long as it's not illegal, um, I'm going to do what my client wants me to do. I'm going to try to direct my client into a, a decision that's going to be right for the company. But if my client wants to go down a road that I don't think is necessarily the best, I'm still going to say I'll do it um, as long as it's not illegal. So those four characteristics we found in the Rainmaker study actually do differentiate Rainmakers from other lawyers um, and make us a sort of breed unto ourselves um, where we are totally engaged with our clients and totally focused on their business. And we talk business, we don't talk law. Uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about the study. And I have to say that because I've had a lot of strong rainmakers on left foot, that that is very consistent. I can't say that I've had people actually talk about, you know, having all four. I've, I've definitely had guests talk about, you know, talking about business issues and really focusing their conversations on that. Or uh, I've had a number of uh, successful uh, rainmakers talk about connecting with people and that they're that is something they are comfortable with, or they have forced themselves to get more comfortable with it. But I actually haven't had someone talk about all four. And and I was glad you talked about motivating in your teams. Um, And we can, I'd like to dive into that if you wouldn't mind and risk-taking in a minute. But before we do, which of these four do you think developed over time uh, in your practice versus, you know, I I can imagine when you first started out, those four, you weren't as strong in all four. (laughs) 
so, you know, there's a big question. Are, are rainmakers born or bred? And I think some people are natural at this. And I'm pro- I probably fall into that category. When I look back on my life, I've always been someone who was interested in people. I've always been a problem solver. I've always been sort of an out of the box thinker and innovative and creative in what I do. I would say the the one characteristic that I've had to work the hardest on is risk taking. Um, and I attribute some of my ability to do that to my sister, who's older than I am. And she told me, you know, a lot of people wait until they're 50 to realize that the whole world doesn't revolve around them. And the worst thing that might happen is someone would say no to you. Um, and having heard that at a younger age than 50, uh, I took it to heart and said, so what's the worst that happens if I go out and pitch a client that I've never heard of before, or they've never heard of me before. What's the worst thing that happens? They say no. Um, And what rainmakers do, and me included, is when someone says no to me, what I hear is not now. Um, So rather than feeling like, oh my God, I just lost that. They didn't, they weren't interested. They don't like me, you know, taking it personally. I learned how to say that no doesn't mean no, that means not now. And I'm going to go back um, in a few months, in a year, and I'm going to try again. Um, and maybe I'll get rejected again, but I had to learn that it was okay for people to say no and to hear that is not now. Great. That's a great point. And I, it's, it's one that, um, I I think gives people more confidence to try. I think it's been a, a real challenge for, for many of our listeners is that there's somewhat of a lack of desire to get out and and really ask for business because they're uncomfortable because they they are there's fear of rejection and as a career sales person business developer I can even say my mother used to say to me how can you choose that you know that work when there's so much rejection and and I actually uh, got a lot of uh, Gave me a lot of confidence actually knowing that I might be rejected. The highs were really good. I see a lot of what people do is the people who express the fear that you've just surfaced is they think, okay, so I'll just be a really good lawyer or a really good business person and that will bring people to me. And the answer to that is yes, there are some people who fall in that category. I mean, David Boyce, who wouldn't want to hire him to do a trial, right? I mean, he's a wonderful, fabulous lawyer who has a great reputation, but you know, those people are far and few between and just having a good reputation is not sufficient. You have to be able to build relationships as well. And that's what people forget about. Um, They forget that there's a relationship component to any sales that's going to occur. The thing that makes someone want to hire you versus me is your ability to build a relationship with that person for them to feel comfortable, for them to feel like you have their interest at heart. And what you do when you're developing a client is you're exhibiting those characteristics that make that person feel comfortable hiring you. And that's what people forget. And yeah, it is, it is scary for some people because of the fear of rejection. It's particularly an issue for women who feel they have to be perfect all the time. Um, and who have sometimes a difficult time with bouncing back. And so one of the things, you know, I talk about when I speak with women about these issues is you don't have to be perfect. You can do something that you've never done before. Um, and you probably can do it as well as anybody else, but you've got to be willing to put yourself on the line. There you go and take that risk. So interesting. I was just, uh, I just forwarded an article this morning on lawyers and their effect on boards and that how a lot of boards, corporate boards are looking for lawyers to join the board, but there's a question about the 
uh, business knowledge of many of the candidates they look at. And, you know, this is something that I think even in other businesses, other professions, we talk about, you know, needing to take an interest in the client's business, that your, your client's business needs to be something you're involved in, or at least somewhat knowledgeable about, or at least studying so that you can show your client that you understand, or at least can relate to their business problems. Any guidance you would give to someone who says, yes, you know, I understand that, you know, having some business sense and having some understanding of my client's business will help any quick guidance you would give them on, on what to focus on when they go out and start to look into, you know, gaining business knowledge, gaining knowledge on their clients? Yeah. So, um, lawyers are pretty arrogant, I will say, (laughs) in criticism of my own profession. I mean, we're the only profession that calls people nons, right? So we we actually call people non-lawyers. There's no other profession that calls people non-physicians or non-salespeople. And so we think of ourselves as being very special and that people should just want to hire us. And what we forget is that we're asking to come into someone's business and give them advice on issues that are going to impact the future of their company. And so the easiest tip I can give people are are two. One is listen really carefully to the person you're talking to and what they're talking about so that you can figure out what the politics of the situation are, what their goals are, what makes them tick, who they report to, those kinds of issues. So you understand who that person is and what their position is in the organization. More importantly, in some ways, every client that I'm trying to develop I, go, I tell them I will come out on my dime, so I'm not going to charge the client for it or a potential client for it, and learn your business. I, I want to see how your chicken plant works. I want to see how your advertising business works. Um, and I got this actually from when I was in-house at B of A because our general counsel at the time made every single lawyer work in a branch. Um, so you had to be a teller for two weeks, um, at the time when banks actually used to have tellers who waited on you. Um, and it was a really great way to learn the business of banking. And so I took that with me and have translated that into how I develop business. So the way you understand a business is by seeing how the business works. You can't sit in your ivory tower and pontificate without knowing this is how this business works. This is what this person's position is. This is what their business goals are. And this is how I can contribute to moving those business goals forward. It's, it's great advice. It's and, and really just understanding and spending time doing that plant tour, doing, you know, really getting to talk to the people in the business that can help tremendously. You know, I have to say one other piece of advice I give to women in business, whether they're lawyers or other business people is, you know, read business magazines, read or, you know, online, you know, and it's interesting. I mean, men over lunch will talk about loans and other, you know, what's going on in socks. And I have yet to find a group of women sitting, having outside of a business lunch, right. But having a more casual lunch experience talking about stocks or, um, you know, business related matters. And maybe it's where I'm having lunch. I think that's a really important point. And one of the problems that many lawyers make, and, and I guess people in general, is they tend to talk about themselves and not about the business of their clients. And so when you have a lunch with someone who's a business person, talking about 
getting them to talk about what their business is and what issues they're facing and knowing something, as you mentioned, you know, doing some research on the company in advance so that you're aware of what kinds of things they're, they're facing. I mean, a, a business development activity can be sending someone an email saying, I hear your company's in merger talks with so-and-so. How's that going to affect you? Um, you know, um, but people don't think about it that way. They, they tend to think about, here's what I can do for you. Here's what my firm does. Here's who, who I am. I'm the most fabulous lawyer in the world and you're going to want to hire me um, versus what's going on in your world. And I do think that you can exercise those skills by doing exactly what you said, which is when you're in casual conversations with other people, whether it be men or women, to talk about business. You know, that's, that's what we do. We advise on businesses and how they can move forward and how they can meet their goals. And unless you can talk in that world, you're not going to be effective. I have to agree. Any surprises from the study? Was there anything that came out that either the people doing the study or yourself that you found surprising? I didn't find it surprising because I believe this, but the, the study revealed something that has traditionally not been spoken about and has been given as a, a truism. And that is there is no difference between men and women in the Rainmaker study. The personal characteristics that are displayed are displayed evenly by men and women. The only difference is that most Rainmakers are married, but men who are Rainmakers have stay-at-home wives um, or partners, um, whereas women who are rainmakers have working partners or, or spouses. Um, and so to some people, that's shocking because, as you know, we spend a lot of time giving women additional training on business development skills when, in fact, we have the personal characteristics that it takes to be rainmakers. We just don't use them as readily as men do. Um, and we're made to think that we need remedial help because we constantly are told we're going to have a special class for the women to train them on business development. <laughs> so that to me was the most shocking thing. Um, there were some other things that came out of the study that were very interesting. And that would be that the way we hire, at least in law firms, and I assume this is true in a lot of corporations as well, is that we look for the best and the brightest from the top schools. So we want the people who are top of their class at Harvard, Yale, Michigan, UCLA, Bolt, you know, wherever. Um, and what we found is that where you went to law school has little to do with your ability to develop business. Um, that really the things that make people successful as business developers are people who came from unprivileged backgrounds who worked during college or high school or graduate school who have are hungry basically for uh, praise and for success. Um, we found that most people who are successful at rainmaking um, didn't necessarily, be, they weren't necessarily at the top of their class, but they got good grades. And so the achievement part of being a rainmaker is a really important part because it's people who, who get a thrill out of developing a client. You know, they love bringing that client in. So while there's a financial reward for doing that, there's also a psychological reward that turns these people on. And that's not measured by where you went to school or what your grades were or anything else. It's measured by these things that you grew up with. So you find that most rainmakers had jobs in the service industry. They were waitresses, salespeople, cashiers, trainers. You know, they were people who had to focus on serving other people. 
And that translates into the ability to develop business. And so, you know, part of what um, I want to make clear is that I think there's some people, and you and I probably fall in those categories, we're born to do this. It, it, we don't have to think about it. It comes naturally to us. It's not hard for us. It, it, you know, you certainly there are times you're like, oh, damn, <laughs> I wish I'd been successful at that particular, you know, venture that I went on. But, you know, we don't, we aren't um, easily deterred. There are other people who should be locked in a room and never allowed to see a client. I mean, you know who those people are, right? <laughs> to keep them away from any client or customer because they are, they just don't have the skill set and they can't be taught. And then there are the people in the middle who are the ones I think you were just talking about. The people who say, I don't know if I'd be good at that or I don't know why I'm good at that. And for those people, I think what you want to do, and I think what we haven't been doing, at least in law firms, I don't know about businesses, but in law firms, is we haven't been training on the building of relationships and how that works and getting people to sort of flex those muscles that make them actively listen and make them think about connections and make them think about business solutions, not legal solutions. Um, and so for those people, there's a, a, a subset of them who could be fabulous business developers. They just need to exercise that muscle. There's some who could be pretty good. And then there's some who just won't get it. Um, but everyone doesn't have to be a rainmaker. You know, we rainmakers need people to actually <laughs> do the work. Um, <laughs> and the people who aren't rainmakers usually test very well as um planners and schedulers and people who follow through and who are good at sort of keeping a relationship going once the rainmaker brings it in. And that's as valuable a skill as the rainmaking. You know, the two are intertwined inextricably. Um, and so you have to have both people in your organization if you're going to be successful. So I like to look at activities and put them in two categories, uh, strategic and tactical. And obviously, as a person who's led business developers, you know, I always want to make sure we have a strategy at the beginning of each year and then are reviewing that at least quarterly to make sure that we're meeting our numbers. And of course, you know, meeting numbers in a business that's planning, hiring, et cetera, so critical, right? Same in a firm. What have you done over your career, both strategically and tactically, to make sure you were getting to the goals that you were setting? Yeah, so I'm really glad you put it that way, because I really believe that business development falls into those two categories. There are tactical things you do, which is build your reputation, in my mind, um, first. I mean, that's where you have to start. You have to have a good reputation. You have to be viewed as someone who's very competent in your field. Um and who can handle whatever the issues are that are going to be posed by the business. So building reputation was really important to me, obviously, in the first part of my career. And what I did is I personally am very good at speaking, right? That's what I do. I'm, I do a lot of keynote speaking now, and my I knew that about myself. So I began to develop a reputation as an employment lawyer by going out and talking to every group who asked me. So I put my name out there as someone who would come and talk to the, you know, um, Rotary Club, <laughs> yeah, as well as the major conference on employment law. I, I spoke to everyone, places where you had to say the Pledge of Allegiance and sing the national anthem before you could have your spaghetti lunch at Original Joe's. You know, it was hilarious. But as a result, it's not that I got business necessarily, but when people heard my name, they'd say, oh, I've heard of her, right? So... So the tactical part of business, related, business development, in my mind, is you've got to build 
your reputation. And you may do it by speaking as I did. You may do it by writing. You may do it by impressing the people with whom you work um, so that they talk about you. You may use a combination of all of those things. Um, The other part of the tactical part of business development is you've got to have a plan, right? You've got to have something that says, this is an industry I'm interested in, or this is a company I'm interested in. And here's how I'm going to go about getting into that uh, audience, getting that audience um, so that they can find out who I am and I can begin to develop business. So I, I do think there's a, a very important planning, scheduling part of business development. But then there's the other part, which is the strategic part. And this is the, how am I going to build those relationships? Because to me, business development is reputation and relationships, the two R's as I call them. Um, and the relationship building is more strategic because you've got to be able to know what's going to work for Nicole versus what's going to work for Pat. And it's not going to be the same thing. So I may love to go out to lunch and have a long lunch with you talking about all kinds of things. Um, You may not like to go out to lunch because you want to get home at the end of the day and lunch interferes with your ability to do that. So you've got to be strategic in how you go about building relationships and it can't be cookie cutter. It can't be, I'm going to do the same thing for every person. It can't be, I'm going to do, I'm going to take people to baseball games or I'm going to take people, um, I'm going to give them tickets to something or I'm going to give them a present at the holidays. It's got to be really tailored to who that person is and what they do. Um, So for me, um, because I was at B of A early in my career in-house, I built a whole strategy around the financial services industry. And at B of A, we did all of our litigation in-house most of the other banks didn't. So I became the expert for all these people in the financial services industry on litigation. They would be hiring outside counsel. They'd call me and say, this is what my outside counsel saying. What do you think? I'd be like, that's bullshit. Don't do it. Um, or yeah, that's a great idea. I would do that too. And so when I left B of A, I not only took all of Bank of America's business, but I took every single bank in the state of California a large bank in the state of California with me. Um, and that was in part out of interest because I was interested in financial services, but it was also strategic. I knew I wasn't going to stay in house forever. I wanted to build a group of clients and an expertise. And so I became the expert for financial services companies in the state of California and particularly for national banks where I developed a particular expertise in in a type of defense. Um, And so, you know, that was the strategic part of my business development. Once I got that group of clients, then it was easy to get other people in because all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, she represents all these banks. She must be good, right? (laughs) Or I would use that or I'd use my clients to say, can you introduce me to so-and-so? So I think you have to have both parts. You have to be tactical and you have to be strategic and you have to think about how you build those relationships. Fantastic points in the two R's. And and you said something right in that last sentence that you would actually ask your clients. So can you elaborate on that? Because that is something other people we've interviewed have talked about. Yes. So I think it's hard to ask a client to um, introduce you to some other organization unless you've developed a very strong relationship with that person because it feels like you're using them or that you're asking them to extend a courtesy that they may not feel comfortable yet. So I wouldn't do that with any one other than a client that I already had a very trusted relationship with. But then I would actually sit down with the client and say, listen, I'm really trying to get in 
pick a company, The Gap, um, trying to get into The Gap. And I know you know Michelle Banks, who's the general counsel there. Could you make an introduction to me? Or could we set up a lunch? Or can you mention my name to her in conversation? Because I know you're good friends with her. And I'm telling you what people don't realize, and this is again a risk, right? Because they could say no, or they could be offended. Um, But what most people don't realize is that people are really happy to help you. You know, if they like you, they're happy to help you. And so they might say, you know, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. Or they might say, sure, I'd be happy to. I think the world of you. Um, What people also don't realize is the clients talk to each other. So I do a lot of panels around the country on business development, and I usually have general counsels there um, to talk about what how they build relationships and what makes them happy and unhappy about the way lawyers in particular treat them. And what they've said is when they're looking for new lawyers for a new area or someone different from whom they're already using, they call their colleagues and say, you know, Susie, I need someone who does employment law. Do you have someone you really trust? And then Susie says, Pat Gillette. Um, So that kind of internal referring is already going on. There's no reason why you can't take advantage of that as well. Fantastic point. And I have to say, it is one of those things I did not do earlier in my career, and I do all the time now. So Pat, a success story. Yeah. So um, I'll tell a story that I I often use when I'm talking about risk-taking because it, it involves both a success story and a risk. Um, We were asked to bid on a case with a very large company in the Midwest, and we're a San Francisco firm. Um, So we were asked to come and pitch it and, you know, try to convince them they should hire us. They should hire us because we are the experts in this particular thing that they had, but we knew that we were up against local counsel. And in the legal business, that's sometimes important to have someone local who knows the judges and knows the courts. So we felt like we had one arm tied behind our back because of that. But nevertheless, we, we'd been invited to the party. So I got my team together and I always take a team when I pitch business. I never go solo unless I'm asked to only come by myself. Um, but I took got my team together and I said, I want us to come up with something really unusual and innovative in the way we approach this particular case. So one of my best and brightest associates who probably will never be a client developer, but is a great client service partner, came up with this really interesting theory on damages and how we could limit damages. Did I think it would work? No. (laughs) But I thought it showed that we think out of the box and we do things differently. So we went to the client, we pitched it. I let him pitch that particular idea with my endorsement. I didn't put him out there to flail. Um, And we didn't get the business. Um, But I did what very few people do. I called the potential client afterwards and said, you know, gee whiz, we'd love to do business for you in the future. And so if there's something that we can do to make our firm one that you continue to consider, please let me know. And this guy said, we loved your firm. We ended up going with local counsel. Um, But I want to ask you something. Did you think that thing on damages would actually work? And I said, well, no, frankly, I didn't. (laughs) And he said, I didn't either. He was a very experienced litigator. But he said, you know what I loved is that you pitched it. And what you showed me is that you understood what was most important to me. And you um, came up with an idea. And that told me that you come up with ideas. You don't just go by the way things have traditionally been done. So the next time they had a case in California, we got the business. I consider that a success story because first it's a, I didn't hear no, I heard not now. And secondly, we took a big risk and we put this idea out there that 
differentiated us. And thirdly, it shows you just have to bide your time and you have to follow up and you have to be willing to put yourself in the line, hear no, and then go back and say, if there's ever anything else we can do for you. So to me, that was a huge success and unexpected. Once we got rejected, I didn't really think that he was going to hire us back um, for something else, but he did, you know, which was great. Absolutely great points. And I love the idea of, first off, you followed up on something that didn't go your way at that point, right? So you were able to get some insight into their decision-making and really get some feedback. And the feedback was positive that, you know, even though they didn't think they agreed with you that they didn't think the idea would work, but that the fact is that you were, you know, thinking and you were being creative and innovative in your approach. So uh, great, great response. And again, you know, it's, so often we talk about none of the things that we're talking about on left foot or recommending. None of this is, you know, new, really. It's the same points really being restated so that people will embrace the fact that to actually do this work and do it well, you have to think about it and you have to execute on it. It's not something you've never heard of. It's, you know, what you've heard of your whole career, right? Build relationships, you know, have a rep strong reputation. These are things that, you know, we, we learn about very young in our, in our life, you know, in, in our schoolwork and our reputation, our communities, et cetera. I mean, it's not new, you know, but it's, you know, reminding people that it's important Fantastic interview. Really appreciate the time and, and the thoughts you've shared with our listeners around business development. Any last points you'd like to make before we say goodbye? You know, the one point that I always feel compelled to make, and it's because of all the work that I do with women, is I really encourage women to think differently about business development. I, I fear that we have trained people improperly where we've trained them only on the tactics of business development and haven't given them the other part that we've talked about during this interview. And that is the relationship building skills and what women are really good at. It's not that men aren't, but women are really good at building relationships. That's what we do. Um, so I'd say to all the young women who are listening to this, that I really hope that you'll recognize that you have the skill, skills to build business relationships. You just have to practice them and you have to work at it. And it's not easy, um, but it's not really that hard. We often put business development up on a pedestal and think that it takes hours of time and, you know, you've got to have a detailed business plan or you'll never succeed. When in fact, you know, if you can't do those things, if you can't spend hours and you can't have a detailed business plan for whatever reason, if you do just do the things that come naturally and begin to think of business development, not as a separate part of your career, but as an integral part of your career and your personal life, I really believe that you can be successful. So, you know, I really encourage people to find ways to integrate business development into their personal lives so that it becomes natural, so that you might um, join the board of trustees of your kid's school um, or the PTA or whatever you know organization there is in part so that you can be part of what's going on in your kid's life, but also because you're going to meet people there who are potential clients. Um, and that's going to give you an opportunity to integrate those two parts of your life. I really hope that people will hear this interview and feel positively about the, their ability to build and retain relationships um, and focus on that as well as the tactical side of business development. Fantastic. Pat, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you so much, Nicole. My pleasure. And thank you for all the work you're doing in this area. I really appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. Thank you.